why do we as Catholics pray for the dead? Why and how can our prayers help those who are faithfully departed, who've gone before us, whether it's family members, friends, or neighbors? How can your prayers help those who have passed away? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. as the Feast of All Souls, we pray for the dead. And this is something that the church calls us to do, not just during this feast day on November 2nd, but really dedicates the whole month of November to remember the dead, the poor, poor souls in purgatory, all of our faithfully departed. We are to pray for them. And we see this even in our patron here at the Augustine Institute, St. Augustine, prayed for his mother Monica after she passed away. And he would have masses said, and he would pray for her ardently. And of course, now we know that St. Monica is canonized, which the church declares her as a saint. So we know that she can't be in purgatory. She's now with God in heaven. And so we don't need to pray for St. Monica. St. Monica, we prayed to yesterday on the Feast of All Saints, when we were praying to saints to intercede for us. And so we pray to St. Monica now that she may intercede and help us because she's before the throne of God. She's in the presence of God. But the souls in purgatory and the faithfully departed that we don't know whether or not they're with God fully, we pray for them. And so to talk about that, I've got the executive director of FORMED, Dr. Benjamin Akers. And uh, Ben, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me, Tim. Yeah, so we talk about praying for the dead, and I think it's a beautiful tradition in the Catholic Church, and I think a lot of Catholics actually may not realize that it's not just on this feast day today, but really for the whole month of November that we're to pray for the dead. Do you think a lot of people know that? I, you know, I don't, that's a good question. I think there's something about just the nature itself is, you know, the leaves are changing and then they fall to the ground. It starts to get colder. In, this, in the Western Hemisphere, in the Northern Hemisphere, we actually have signs that things die. Right. And so and as we're moving yeah. into, you know, heading into the season of Advent, the end of the liturgical year, there, it, it makes sense that the church picked November as a time to, f to focus on death. It really does. And you know, we'll get this with the readings as we get closer to Advent. It'll be a lot of eschatological readings about the end of the world, reminding us about not only does every individual have an end to their story and a death, but the world itself will come to an end of history uh, moment, a kind of, a kind of dying moment at the end of the world, right? It does, and, and one of the things that I've been thinking about these last couple of days is how the church is one. Mm -hmm. We have different states of the church. So we have the church in heaven. That's right. We have the church that's suffering in purgatory and, and the church militant, yep. the, church on, the pilgrim church on earth. And these three days, we're coming at the third mm -hmm. of these days, October 31st, which we know as Halloween, All Hallows Eve, mm -hmm. really is a time where we remember the you know, death, right? We see people dressed yeah. as skeletons. Yeah. Remind of the darkness. So that actually reminds us of our own death, but also the church militant. While we're living on the Pilgrim Church on earth, it's a day for us to remember that we someday will die. Yeah. All Saints Day, November 1st, is celebrating the church in heaven. Triumphant. Tri triumphant the church triumphant, those who have made it to heaven. Exactly. And then it sets the standard for the whole month of mm. your whole goal is to be like the saints in heaven. And then today we celebrate All Souls Day, which is the church suffering in purgatory. Yeah. And let's talk about this idea of the, the, why is the souls in purgatory called the church suffering? And so we talk about purgatory. What does it mean that people could be in heaven, they could be in purgatory or in church teaching? They could really have failed the grade and now they're in hell, right? So you've yeah. got hell, heaven, and this place that's a transition point for heaven, and that is purgatory. Ex explain what purgatory is. Sure, so purgatory is an intermediary and temporary state. 
So it's a state between when you someone when a soul dies yep. and they're not yet ready to see God face to face, because Revelation says that only the clean shall see God. The pure, yeah. The pure, yeah. and so we don't have the if we don't die if we die with. Uh, attachments to sin or attachment mm -hmm. to certain personalities not completely focused on God mm -hmm. then we have to be purged mm -hmm. of those uh, of those attachments and that's what the place that's what the role of purgatory is purgatory that word is not found in scripture sometimes our Protestant brothers and sisters will throw that out as like the word purgatory is not in scripture so therefore it's not there well so is the word trinity yeah the trinity is not in there the word <laughs> it, bible but, <laughs> yeah. but you find the trinity in the bible the exactly. word you don't find so exactly. that's that's always a poor argument it is uh, because the reality is there right the reality is there purgatory is just comes from the Latin for purgation or purification. I think of uh, a good example of purgatory to me is when Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6 is taken from earth up into the heavenly courtroom before the throne of God and he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips that I, I shall see the Lord, the God of glory. And one of the seraph angels takes a hot coal from the altar of incense and puts it up to his lips and says, this which has touched your lips has taken away your sin. And that putting a hot, fiery coal up to someone's lips would be a purgation. So he yeah. literally, he show, it's a process more than a place, purgatory. That's right. That's right. And that's what, that's what we don't, you know, we don't assign days, you know, 70 days in purgatory, then you get to heaven. That's, you know, that's, that, that's not what we mean when you see those on the back of prayer cards. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? It is a process. It's a yeah. growing closer and more uh, devote, uh, more conformed to yeah. Christ is the goal of purgatory. Well, I want to invite everybody to text us with your questions about All Souls Day, about prayers for the dead, purgatory, uh, any of these kinds of questions, please text us and just put your name in your question. And the text line is, is 720-650-0100. So that's 720-650-0100. And uh, text us your questions, join our conversation. Well, Ben, I want to back up to this idea of November as a time to pray as the church teaches us for the dead and the pray for the poor souls in purgatory. And we'll talk more about purgatory, but are there any customs, anything you do in your family to pray for the dead during the month of November? We do, and my wife is great at this. She has gotten pictures from all our family members. You know, my, my mother has passed away, but my, my children's grandparents and my grandparents, mm. great-grandparents, we have pictures of the ones that we have pictures of. And then of all the family members of all who have died? Of have already passed oh. away. And then we have a list of their names, and we hang that on a poster board oh. on the wall in the dining room, so every night we can remember to pray for the, the souls of our own family members that have passed. That's a beautiful custom. I, I, I love that tradition of taking the pictures. I know we do that with some of our family members. I know my wife, her parents have passed away, so, uh, so we always have a picture of them on the island during, October, uh, during the month of November. And it's a reminder when you see the picture to pray for them. And it's, it's just a beautiful act of love, really, because this is part of what we're called to in Christian charity is to pray for the dead. So let's talk a little bit about why it's charity to pray for the dead. One of the things that a soul in purgatory can't do is pray for themselves. Mm. And the, the souls in heaven don't need our prayers. That's right. And the, we, you know, we, we can pray for each other because we're still on the journey and we can pray yeah. for the souls in purgatory. Um, and so it's a really act of charity because they are, in a sense, stuck there. You know, they're in that place of process of going closer to the Lord. And uh, our charity, our prayers, even our works, you know, we can mm. actually offer up certain acts, penances, prayers for them to actually enter heaven more quickly. Right. Almsgiving is one of the things yes. that the church teaches quite a bit is a way of praying for it. If you give alms for the sake of your beloved who's passed away, uh, 
you know, that almsgiving is one of the things that's especially true for helping the, the poor souls out of purgatory because it's an act of giving to the poor and those in need, and you're remembering those who need prayers in purgatory, and that, that act of love and that prayer for them uh, tends to help them in, in Catholic teaching get out of purgatory sooner or helps them through that process. And anytime that we do an act of charity, we're going outside of ourselves towards another. The theological virtue of charity that's infused into all of our souls mm. at uh, baptism, faith, hope, and charity, the, this the, the supernatural equipment that God gives us mm -hmm. to navigate the world that Mary and Joseph had, that the, all the mm. saints had. What charity does is the love of God and love of neighbor. It's the, the same, uh, Thomas Aquinas uses the image of it's, it's like two roots of the one sure tree. The same love by which we love God, we love our neighbors. And so we actually show our love for neighbor by doing acts of charity, mm -hmm. which actually then conforms them and us closer to God. Well, one of our viewers asked a question, Ben, and they say, is it against our faith to believe that we can receive signs from loved ones after they die? Is, what was the first part? Is it, is it against our faith is it against to our faith? think that you can get signs from loved ones after they die? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes when we do see this you know, paranormal activity mm -hmm. where people, uh, you know, a brush of a wind or they see a bird to, you know, to, that reminds them of a particular loved one, uh, in God's providence, He does allow souls to communicate, souls that are in purgatory and in heaven, to communicate with souls that are living on, on this earth. Occasionally. Occasionally. Not, not normally, it's not a regular not normative, thing. Right? right? But occasionally that can happen. When they do appear... I think Padre Pio has a story about that, right? Yeah, so, so Padre Pio, there's a story, I just heard it recently, of Padre Pio was in his cell praying late at night. And uh, a person knocks on the door, and an older man, and walks in, and Padre Pio says, come sit down. And he sits down, and uh, the man says, uh, you know, he says, who are you? And he says, oh, I'm actually a soul. I used to live in this place said, I, this was a nursing home, an elderly care home, before it became a monastery where you live. Oh. It says, I used to live here. And he was wandering around looking for somebody. He's, Padre Pio was the only one probably awake, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. praying in the middle of the night. And they had a conversation. He said, will you pray for me? And he did. And then Padre Pio never saw him again. Well, you so, couldn't get anybody better than Padre <laughs> Pio to pray for you. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, that's the idea is that if God allows a soul to communicate, it's mm. they're asking for prayers. Mm. And so if you are reminded of a loved one, if something, you know, a song mm -hmm. that you both loved came on the radio or something, maybe that's a sign from God to, to ask for, um, to pray for that per particular mm. soul that reminds you of. Let's talk about you know, purgatory a little bit more. Um, this idea of praying for the souls in purgatory, where do we find that biblically? There's a couple of places we can go to. One of the, the clearest examples is to go to 2 Maccabees chapter mm -hmm. 12. And in 2 Maccabees chapter 12, we're at that uh, time before, uh, right before the New Testament. So the last book, if you're looking for it, it's the last couple of books of the, of the New Testament, First and 2 Maccabees. Of the Old Testament, yep. Of the Old Testament, thank you. That one of the, uh, some soldiers died and they had idols on their persons. Yeah, amulets, right? Yeah. For pagan amulets, for yeah. good luck charms. Good luck charms. And all the, all the soldiers in, in Judas Maccabees' army that had the good luck charms, ended up dying. So that wasn't really good luck, was it? They it was not. They went, went no. to the wrong God. Well, and they didn't know why they had died. And they, when they started dressing the bodies for death, preparing for death, they actually noticed that, that they had those amulets. And so Judas Maccabeus encourages all his men to be charitable and give alms. They and take up a collection, collection of alms. And they took that the collection temp. to Jerusalem for the mm. temple to offer sacrifices that their sins would be forgiven. Wow. So there's a sense that sins yeah. can be forgiven after someone's already died. Wow. So this idea of praying for the dead is something yeah. that we see with Judas Maccabeus. And there's even a commentary from the author of Second Maccabees where it's a good and wholesome thought. Yeah, or noble, or yeah, noble some thought, translations, yeah, yeah. To pray for the dead. To pray for the dead. 
And so this is really, a, a, this is older than a Catholic tradition of praying for the dead. This goes back to our Jewish brothers and sisters. It really goes back to Judaism. It does. And uh, even Jesus uses phrases when he uses a parable of Abraham's bosom. Mm. That there are certain souls that are going to be in heaven, right? Mm. And then in that same context, when he's giving examples, he, ta he gives parables about souls, you know, somebody being thrown in prison, if you will, and have to pay till the last penny is paid out. Yeah, so these images about the afterlife mm -hmm. where that you can pay for things uh, even in the afterlife. Sandra asks the question, how, how long is a soul in purgatory? <laughs> that's, good. that's a good question. And, and sometimes we have those prayer cards that say, you know, say this prayer and you get 100 days off purgatory, right? We remember those old kind of prayers. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of that, that comes from actually a, the older tradition of certain sins had certain temporal punishment attached to them. So as an aside, I'll get to the answer to the question, but when you sin, there's guilt and there's punishment that's attached to it. Mm -hmm. So I might stand up and flip this table over and break it and ask your forgiveness, and you may forgive me, but I'm but guilty of it. you also need to pay for the table. The table's broken, I need to pay for it. We would refer to that in a spiritual realm as temporal punishment. Mm -hmm. And temporal punishment can be uh, resolved and meted out either in this life or in the life to come. Mm -hmm. So eternal punishment would be an example of hell. Yeah. Where you're not going to, you can never pay that back. So purgatory is about temporal, temporal punishment. temporary punishments where you, you pay a certain amount of debt, to use the analogy, but then you can get into heaven. Right. So in the, in the church at a certain times where they say you commit the sin of adultery, you have to do a certain amount of penance, days of mm. penance, to atone for a particular sin. So, that was, so the prayer mm. cards that say 100 days, that might match up with a particular public penance of doing temporal punishment on this life. I've had some Protestant friends, Ben, who say when they hear these kinds of things, or they, if they were listening to our conversation right now, they would say, Ben, you're, this Catholic vision of God is punitive, um, it's not merciful, and uh, you know, the God, uh, God's so merciful, why would he put people in the penalty box of purgatory, so to speak, right. and not just take them to heaven? So what would be your answer to that? See, God is absolutely merciful. That's why he gave us purgatory. Mm. Because there's, the choice is, you know, if we die in sin, then we mm. go to hell. Yeah. But we're not perfect. If you're, yeah. Only the perfect shall see God and go yeah. into heaven. If I die and I'm not perfect, then I have to go to hell. Mm. And so purgatory is God's mercy for us allowed to, to grow in perfection. Yeah, I, I, I like that idea that purgatory is God's mercy. You know, one of the an, analogies I like to use is the idea that of fire. You know, um, God reveals himself in the burning bush. He's a fiery presence in the burning bush. And then, you know, when, to go back to that earlier story about Isaiah, you know, the, the seraphim take the hot coal and he's purged so he can be in the presence of God. But the seraph are called literally burning ones. It means they're literally on fire. And if God's a consuming fire and the angels closest to God, the seraphim, are called angels that are on fire, the idea is that s s sin and selfishness burn in front of pure love. And so selfish love can't stand to be in the midst and the presence of selfless love, God's divine selfless love. And so it burns. Mm -hmm. Now, if we have, uh, you know, what we, what we would call venial sins, like Isaiah, that, that sinfulness can be burned and purged. But if it's uh, mortal sin, that is, we've made a, a, a serious sin and in a disordered way turned against God so that, as Augustine says, we love ourselves more than God in that disordered way, well, then that burning is, is hell, the fires of hell. But the idea would be that if God took the souls in hell and put them up in heaven, they would burn hotter in heaven. And so hell is God's mercy to make himself least present so they burn in, in their selfish love, less so in God's selfless love. But purgatory, they're closer to God's fiery love, 
but they need to be purged so that they, so that they could be in God's presence. And so, as you said, yeah. purgatory is God's mercy where he allows a purification so that those souls can be in his presence freely and with joy. Paul talks about that where the, the fire will burn mm. away the chaff, the wheat, the straw. Yep. Because you actually get to the pure silver, the pure gold. Yeah. And anyone who's a silversmith or a goldsmith does it. They just high temperatures, high temperatures, high temperatures, but to get to the essence and the purest, purest metal. metal. Right. Yeah. I love that imagery that you're talking about that St. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And that, the idea that every, work, every man's work will be tested on that day, mm -hmm. our day of death, our day of judgment, right? And if the work is with, what does he say, wood, stubble, um, straw, Trot, yeah. it gets burned up. But if it's gold, precious stones, and silver, it'll be refined, right, yeah. in the last. And so the deeds that last are the deeds of love yeah. versus the self-love, selfish love, uh, which is sin, is burned away, so to speak. I remember uh, reading a story about a silversmith and the way that he knew that the silver was ready to actually be turned into a, you know, to a jewelry or fashion was that he looked at the silver and he could see his image in it. Oh, wow. And that when he saw his image in, uh -huh. in the reflection, then he knew it was ready. And that's a beautiful image to, to take over to purification leading to see God face to face forever is he sees his image perfectly reflected in us. Yeah, when the Father sees the image of the Son in us. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I like the image that we have, the reading, I think it's from Wisdom chapter 2 today in the Mass readings, which talks about the souls of the just are in the hands of God. And they're going from us was seen to be a tribulation or affliction. Yeah. And yet... They're at peace. They're they're with God, and uh, and He refines them like in a crucible, as wisdom says. Right, and to not have fear. I mean, death is one of the things that we all fear. It's the one problem that humanity has never been able to solve. We mm -hmm. try to delay it as much as possible, mm -hmm. and we know that in the you know coming out of the times of COVID, that you know fear is this great yeah. motivator, and most of the people were driven with fear of death, mm. uh, and it's really yeah. something that Christians should not be afraid of. Why shouldn't we be afraid of death? Because Christ defeated death by his own death. Mm. And the, the, the fact that as Christians, if we've been baptized, we've already actually died once before. Yeah. So actually when we, we've been baptized into Christ, we've been baptized into his death. So we've already done the dry run, the most important death. <laughs> or the wet run. The wet run, <laughs> exactly, into Christ's, into Christ's death. Mm -hmm. So that when we actually die and the, sleep, it will only be asleep. We'll just you know, wake up and mm. see God face to face. And the interesting thing is that we'll actually know immediately where we're going. Christ, we mm. meet Christ the judge. Yeah. Um, St. Augustine has this beautiful image that we shouldn't be afraid of Christ as a judge. He says, imagine that you're going to court and in mm -hmm. court, your lawyer was preparing you. Your advocate was at your side preparing you for, for your case. And all of a sudden you show up for court and your advocate is no longer at your side, but has been made the judge of your case. Oh, that's a beautiful image. Who knows your case better yeah. than your lawyer yeah. who is Christ, the one who's yeah. called himself to your side wow. in the Holy Spirit. And now he's your judge face to face. So it's nothing to fear. Well, I know Christians who have faith have that kind of consolation, but one of the viewers asks, what happens to the souls who never knew God? That's a great question. That's God only knows. And yeah. you know, the, we, we trust that they, they, they meet their merciful creator. Mm -hmm. They meet God face to face. Mm -hmm. And then he knows every opportunity that was given to them yeah. to know them. Were there signs that they accepted or didn't accept? Did they really pursue him with a seeking heart? Yeah, I think of Romans chapter 2 where Paul talks about those who did not know the Torah, right, the law, but did what the law commanded in their hearts by the natural law, right? Yeah. So he's talking about those, those who didn't know the law of God, the revelation of God, but did it in their hearts, they were obedient to it by the natural law, will be justified in, in that sense. But those who did know the law, but didn't do it, are in a lot worse position. So it's not simply those who have invincible ignorance about yeah. Christ and about uh, God, 
there's a, there's, they're not in as bad a place as those who did know God but weren't faithful to Him. Right. And it's, it's, it's good for us to not, we can't judge where other people, we can judge people's actions and we don't know the state of their soul. Mm, Even yeah. the last minute, there's that story in St. Therese's uh, story of a soul where she prayed for, she's like, I want to win souls. And she prayed for this notorious uh, uh, criminal who was about to die. And she's like, give me some sign. She just fasted for him and prayed mm. for him. Give me some sort of sign. And she read in the paper the next day that as right before he was guillotined, he asked the priest, he was a, hated the church, he asked for the priest to come over and bring a crucifix of Jesus over, and he kissed it a couple oh, times, wow. and then was, uh, was beheaded. And she wow. saw it as a sign of her first soul won. Wow. So the idea of that, we don't know what, how the soul encounters God in the last minutes of life, but that's why it's more important for us to pray for them. Well, that story fits with what Oscar's question is, and that is, how do we know if a soul has made it to heaven? So you just gave... You know, you have to ask God for a son, I guess. St. Catherine <laughs> yeah. of Siena had a similar story where there was uh, two criminals who were going to be um, executed, and then she prays for them, and, and they go th one of them goes through, I think, a, a quite a transformation of peace from yelling and screaming and yelling profanities, and she accompanies him, I think, in some way. And, mm. and uh, I, I can't remember all the details, but she's, she's praying for him. And so, uh, so we have to... You know, we, we don't know for sure, unless there's some kind of sign like that. That's a pretty right. good sign. Well, well, and the, ch the church never says somebody's in hell. That's, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's an important point. Right. The church will never say this person is in hell. Not even the, the worst people in, in history. Yeah, not even Judas. Because the church is not in the business of glorifying the work of Satan, right? Right. It wants to glorify the work of God. And right. so the church is very eager to put before us our eyes saints. We have a whole canonization process mm -hmm. of how, you know, how the church determines whether or not someone's in heaven. Yeah, I guess the, the one way to know for sure if someone's in heaven is if they get canonized. So yes. to go back to the example of St. Monica, <laughs> yeah. you know, we know we don't need to pray for St. Monica because Augustine asks for prayers for his mother. Even in his but, text, yeah. Yeah, and even in yeah. his text, but we don't have to do that now. Right. Because like, oh, she's good. Yeah, she's good, yeah. <laughs> we well, the beautiful thing is that even if she was in heaven when Augustine was praying for her, the Lord works it all out, yeah. right? Well, let's, let's talk about that. So if I'm praying for a, a loved one, who is in heaven, but they're, I, I, I think they might be in purgatory and I'm praying for them. What happens to those prayers for them if they're actually in heaven? Are they wasted? No, the Lord will never waste a prayer. Mm -hmm. Prayer is never wasted. Prayer is not so much changing the mind. It doesn't change the mind of God. Prayer changes us. And so it for, conforms our heart more to the Lord. So when we're begging the Lord for something, a soul, uh, for a soul to, to see him forever in heaven, for example, in soul purgatory, that's just a fact, that's changing us. And so that's, that deed of love is not wasted. The deed of love is not it, wasted. That merit right. gets attributed to some other soul in purgatory. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful thing. So how, you know, one of the viewers asked, can you, can you tell us the difference between our, our particular judgment and the last judgment? Yes, so you were talking about the judgment, uh, and uh, there's a word that was, that's been used, it's from Greek, eschatology, so the study of the last things. So with the four last things, uh, that's a 17th century term, the Catholic term was always de novissimis, which mm. comes from Sirach and the Vulgate of always remember your last end and yeah. you will never sin. Kind hmm. of an interesting yeah. uh, challenge. If, you, if we're always thinking about death, you're not going to sin, because you have that, to know the judgment. There's this practice of having skulls oftentimes in, in Catholic yeah, art, like St. Right. Jerome has a skull oftentimes, yes. and it's that idea of remembering the day that we die. Yeah, the Latin phrase is memento mori, remember mm -hmm. your death. And you've maybe seen this, uh, you know, places you can go, they'll have a picture of a skeleton or, you know, this image on the wall, and it'll often say in, in, on the image of a skeleton staring right at the viewer, what you are, I once was, what I am, you soon shall be. 
That's so pretty depressing. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Ben. No, it's a great invitation. <laughs> of, like, so you're going to die someday, and you're going to be a skeleton. Oh, that's encouraging. Yeah, yeah it's encouraging. No. Yeah, and just so you know, right? You can so get your life in order. There's this whole tradition of the church of the Ars yeah. Moriendi in Latin, the mm. art of dying, art of, of dying. art of di the actual dying and the hour of death, but yeah. also preparing for death. So you know, you, I, I, it's funny you mention that because I, I have a friend who's very sick with cancer, and and I was visiting him, and, and he had on his coffee table the Ars Moriendi, the the uh, the art of dying well. And it was a reprint of an ancient medieval text. And I, I picked it up and started reading it. It was really beautiful about an examination of conscience in life and being learning to become more detached from earthly goods in preparation for the eternal good of meeting God. Right. And we say this uh, regularly in the Hail Mary. Pray for mm -hmm. us sinners now and at the hour of our death. That's a way, way to prepare for a good That's death. That's a consolation to think how many rosaries you've prayed yeah. and how many times you've prayed the Hail Mary. You've been praying for a long time. Kind of, it's like a 401k, a spiritual 401k <laughs> account. You've been putting, putting away, away a little bit, a yeah. little bit for Mary to pray for you at the hour of your death so that you can be ready to receive Christ. Well, and one, and one day that now will be the hour of death where, yeah. the, where the time is conflated into that mm. moment. The church also, even the catechism- There you go being encouraging again. <laughs> <laughs> but the catechism of the Catholic, it's November. The catechism <laughs> of the Catholic church says that we can turn to Joseph as well for a patron of a happy death mm. because he dies in the presence of Jesus and Mary. You can't get a happier death than that. Well, you know, one of our viewers asked, well, you know, and Ash Wednesday we talk, you know, we, we are dust and to dust we shall return. Uh, where does the resurrection fit into that, the resurrection of our body? Are we just going to be souls in heaven forever, or do we get a body back? No, that's a great question. So related to that, uh, the last question of individual eschatology and kind of the end of the world eschatology is mm. every person will face death, judgment, heaven, and hell. That's the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. But the world itself will also have something, last things, mm. the fire, the destruction of the, you know, the, the cosmos, and one of those things, final universal judgment, where everyone will be judged together, but also we get our bodies back uh, at that final judgment. So the re we say this in the creed, the resurrection of So when someone dies, they could be in heaven, yes. uh, or they could be in purgatory, but they don't have a body. Yes. But at the end of time, Christ is going to recreate all things, and then we get a body? We get our body, we got our same body back, but resurrected and glorified. Mm. So if you're missing a limb, you get those limbs back. If you're uh, born blind, you can see? If you're born blind, you can see. Yeah, it's wow. really amazing. No, that, so full integrity. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think that uh, really Jesus is the model for that, right? It His is. His resurrection. Jesus is, yes. So, so we want to know what our resurrected body is going to look like. It's mm. going to, we can look to Christ for the attributes of it. Mm. So subtlety, uh, agility, these are kind of integrity, mm. uh, immortality, won't suffer anymore, won't stub our toe and it won't hurt anymore. So these are things we have to look forward to. Wow. Which, which is interesting yeah. to me. I mean, I've just been thinking, because we were coming off of Halloween, that our culture celebrates zombies, right. right? Which are decomposed bodies without a brain wandering around. And I think when people get, think of, like, when we die and we come back, we come back as zombies. It's like the we, Day of the Dead. The Day of the Dead. Do we come with the decomposed bodies without my identity of who I am in my mind? Or do I come back with a resurrected body? And the, the good news of the mm. church is you're going to have your own body back, but it's going to be a glorified body. Mm. That is something to look forward to. The, one of the viewers asks, what are some resources I can find to learn more about preparing for death uh, and what happens when I die? 
the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is, again, a great resource to go to, especially starting around the, the thousand, the number of 1,000 or 988 or something. Moving on, it talks about the resurrection of the dead. What do we say in the creed? I believe in the resurrection of the dead, mm -hmm. life everlasting. It'll go through what the church does know. The church is very clear about what we do know, mm -hmm. and there's a lot we just don't know, that, that, that we don't know the answers to what John says, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And also I'm excited to share about a project that the Augustine Institute is working yeah. on uh, called Eternal Rest. And so it's actually a whole program we're, we're developing on death and dying. Just on this question, really. Just to, on this question. To, and, and part of it's going to be to help people prepare for death well. It is. And then part of it is to help people who have to process the grieving, right? And uh, what, what is it, what ha you know, to take on these big questions, what happens when I die? And do I get a body back? And all these things that you're talking about that so many people, and we're just flooded with questions right now, so many people have questions about these things. Right. And it's not oftentimes taught. I remember you know, taking a, a pilgrimage group to the Holy Land, and at the end uh, of one of our days, someone asked in the back, what happens when we die? Um, and, you know, and uh, someone misunderstood something that I had said, and, 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 or, and maybe something that they were taught before. They didn't think that they would ever see their beloved friends or family members who had died before them, that they wouldn't see them again in the afterlife, you know, and, and uh, of course they would, right? Yeah. We, yeah, we, had, we had a beautiful uh, homily today where the, the priest said, I look forward to talking to St. Augustine someday yeah. in heaven. It was just a beautiful gesture yeah. of, of love, yeah. of, uh, that we will get to see our loved ones again. Our soul lives forever. Mm. We have a beginning, mm. but we never have an end. Yeah. And so it's a beautiful thing to know that, that we, will always, we will live forever, and it's our choice whether or not yeah. we want to say yes to God's grace and live forever with Him in heaven or say no and go to hell. Well, Ben, that's a good way to summarize it. And I think that we, we all want to end well, and we want to pray for those who've gone before us that, you know, for them, out of charity, I think it's a great act of Christian charity to pray for our loved ones who have passed before us and to spend the month of November. So make a practical resolution to write down the, you know, friends, family, coworkers who've passed on before you and to pray for them every day during the month of November. It's a great act of love and charity. And uh, it would be something that, you know, we're called to as Catholics to do out of charity. So I hope you can do that. I also want to encourage you to make sacrifices for the dead. You know, every Friday is a day of fasting for us as Catholics. Pray for those loved ones who have passed before us on Fridays during the month of November to pray for the dead, to offer up your sacrifice and suffering for them so that they can be relieved of the suffering of purgatory and come to before the face of God. And also, this is also time to do almsgiving as well as a, a sacrifice that you offer up, like in 2 Maccabees chapter 10, that, that giving of alms for your beloved dead. And uh, that's another great uh, act of, of good that you can do for those who've passed before you. And of course, I want to thank all those who give alms to the Augustine Institute through the Mission Circle. You allow us to have this ministry and this mission, and we're deeply grateful. One of the exciting things we've done recently because of your donations is we uh, have a formed platform now in Spanish that's free to everybody in Central and South America. And that's because of your donations. So I'm grateful for you. And if you know anybody in Central South America, let them know that they can get formed now in Spanish and to look that up. Well, thank you so much for being with us and may the Lord bless and keep you all. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, ebooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.